It's good to open up the Word of God together and to uh, look at what He has for us. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time this morning or you've been with us, just, uh, just a quick reminder, of this, this was a little bit of a, a, a personal... Um, this series we're in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and looking at the nature and the quality and the character of faith. And uh, it, was, it came out, and I'll probably repeat this too many times and you all get sick of hearing it, but I, I was watching my two eldest children uh, several weeks ago we're in the midst of sort of thinking about what was our next sermon series and what, what should we look at. And uh, I just was noticing how my two eldest children, their response of faith to the Lord Jesus at a young age looks very different. And my, my son is, is, he's asking why and he wants to talk through it and he's doing ideas and he needs to understand the, he needs to get his mind around as much of it as he can and he wants to, he want, it's, 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 it's very much in his head but it's in his heart as well but it's, it's talking and discussing and answers and questions and, and, and testing it. And my daughter hasn't done that and at one point I was a little worried going, oh, she's not doing what he did at the same age and what? And then I suddenly noticed that, and I think Renska might have pointed this out to me, but she, she, she was busy inventing all kinds of worship songs to Jesus. And she would, she would run, be running around the back garden singing these worship songs. And I was like, ah, oh, no, she's doing it as well, but in her own way. And, uh, and so we sort of, we came to this idea of, of Hebrews 11. I think my dad pointed that out. You see, so this is how sermon series come around. We think, what's, what's, what's going on in life? What's, uh, different people say different things. And, um, it's Hebrews 11. It's, it's different, different people, faith, different parts of their lives, their responses to God in different situations. And faith looks, is sort of a general thing, but it looks different for each of us. We each have to trust God with specific things in our lives, specific circumstances as well. So we're going to be in Hebrews 11 again this week, and we'll be flipping back to Genesis chapter uh, 6 and 7 and 8, a little bit of all three of those. So if you keep your finger in Genesis chapter 7, um, and we'll be flipping back, and there'll be some other references as well. Uh, but last week, we looked at verses 3 through 6, and this idea that it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to come to Him, to know Him, and for Him to respond positively to us, in a sense, without faith. And the alternatives to that we saw in the lives of... Well, we looked at Abel and we looked at Enoch, who was taken away. And the alternative to Enoch, who, who walked with God in intimacy, and the alternative to Abel, who came to God in faith with a pleasing sacrifice... The alternative to those guys is Lamech and Cain, who Lamech lived for himself. He didn't even try to seek God. He did his own thing. And Cain came, tried to come to God without faith, if you will. So faith is the only way to come to God to please him. And we're just going to deal with one verse this morning, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. <coughs> Excuse my cough. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let me just read that again because it's short. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events 
as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Excuse me. If, if you will, we, we looked at, at Enoch and Abel last week, and creation as well, uh, and, and they, we had sort of general, Enoch walked with God. Cain came to God and offered him a sacrifice. And Noah gives us a little more detail about what it looks like to seek out God in faith, to respond to Him in faith. And in this story of Noah, we get a picture of God a little, communicating a little more actively than what, you know, in the, in the previous verses, the author of Hebrews, it's very much... Abel sought out God. Enoch walked with God and God took him. And in verse 7, we get to Noah and God all of a sudden is communicating actively with Noah. He's giving him information about events as yet unseen, future events. He didn't know what was going to happen. And so I think we, we, we can look at, at a couple of truths from, these, from this verse. And we're going to flip back to Genesis chapter 7 in just a moment. But I think there's three things that I... I like threes. I, things just come out to me in threes. Sometimes it's more, but if there's more, we do that. But it's three again this morning. Um, it's all, you've got these on your, on your handout there, but God reveals himself to faith. We see very clearly God revealing himself to know, revealing what he's about to do, what's going to happen. Our God, the God we serve, is a God who reveals himself. Uh, true faith results in obe- obedience. We want to talk about the, the, what the, the relationship between faith and obedience and actions, what we actually end up doing, are we need to think a little bit carefully about that. And Noah gives us a good illustration. And then lastly, at the end of verse 7, there's this idea that there's the, the, the wit, faith has a witness. Faith is a witness. And there's the reward of faith as well. And so we'll come to that. But let's turn back to Genesis in chapter 6. Right at the beginning of your Bible, the first book, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. God reveals Himself. If you start in verse 9 and we read this, these are the generations of Noah. So if we, if we trace back from last week, in Genesis chapter 5, we had Enoch, who was the father of Methuselah, who was the father of another Lamech, who was the father of Noah. So Noah is just a few generations on from Enoch, who also walked with God. And here's what it says in chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah also walked with God. That, that description is used of Enoch and it's used of Noah. They're the two who very specifically, they walked with God. They had that intimacy of relationship with God, of walking with Him. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt, it says in verse 11, in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted on their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, here's God revealing himself. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then if you skip over a few verses later to to verses 17 and 18, he says specifically to Noah, Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. Stop there. And so God is... Noah walked with God. He was righteous. He was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. And God reveals himself to Noah. And that's what we have in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that by faith Noah, having been warned, as a phrase, having been warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. He's talking about the, the coming flood. But you probably, maybe you figured that out already. God reveals himself to Noah and he says, listen, there's, he, it actually says in previously in chap, Genesis chapter 6 that God was grieved at the state of mankind. He'd created Adam and Eve and they had sinned and it all gone wrong. And so he says, we're going to do a reset. We're gonna bring, I'm going to bring this flood and we're going to start over. And there's a bigger picture as well. We're not going to get into that today. And so he says to Noah, you've walked with me. You're a blameless man. You're the only blameless one amongst your generation. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And you're, this is what's going to happen. You need to prepare for this. And so if we go back to Genesis 6, to the part we just skipped over, in Genesis chapter 6, God says to Noah, in verse 14, Therefore, Make, make, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And he gives him detailed instructions. This is how you're to make the ark. Before we go on to more details, I just want to camp out on that, that fact just for a second. That in Hebrews 11 and throughout Scripture we serve a God who reveals Himself. We've made a lot of the last two weeks about Enoch and Cain and, and, and the, the need for faith to, for us to be able to come to God, to seek Him out in faith. But actually, God also reveals Himself. He revealed Himself to Noah. And we've been looking at that verse in Hebrews chapter 1 that says that God spoke to our fathers, the author writes, in, through the prophets in, the, in ancient days, in past days, in many times, in many ways. So in the past, God had spoken to the people of Israel through the prophets. Abraham, Moses, the prophets. But now, in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus. And so Jesus is the final, the perfect revelation of a self-revelation of God. God reveals himself perfectly in Jesus. And in Jesus, he also continues, he has continued to reveal unseen future events like with Noah. 
Jesus promises that He's coming back again. If you turn with me just briefly in your Bibles to John in chapter 14. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 14. In verses 1 through 4. Jesus has just said some... He's just predicted about His future suffering and His death. And the, and, and the apostles are all worried. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself. So, so God reveals Himself in Jesus, and Jesus is also coming back again. Jesus Himself, who is God, said, I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. We get that warning in 1 Thessalonians. If you turn with me in 2 Peter in chapter 3. It's very similar to 1 Thessalonians. But 2 Peter in chapter 3. talking about those waiting for the return of Jesus. And he says in, Peter writes in verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? That's Jesus. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they, those who scoff, deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged, flooded with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now, that now exist are stored up for fire. And then in verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So we have a God who, who, who says, I, I've revealed myself in Jesus, and actually there's a future, there's a plan, there's something that's going to happen. I'm going to come back again. And he compares it to the flood. The deluge is the language he uses in Second Peter in chapter 3. That even in the days of the deluge, they said, where's the flood? Is it really going to happen? Ah, this is where we get the idea that, that Noah was scoffed at by, those, by his generation, by those who were watching him build the massive ark in his back garden, as it were. It doesn't actually happen in Genesis, but we get that idea from Second Peter in particular. So God reveals himself to Noah. He reveals himself in Jesus. He reveals himself, he reveals that there, there are still future things going to happen. And actually for us, and this is the key, he continues to reveal himself to us day by day through the Holy Spirit. And this is really key. And this is just where I, I want to get to for this first point. Is that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, continues to reveal himself to us. We say this often, but when you start to trust Jesus for the first time, Jesus puts His Holy Spirit inside you. You have this, the very Spirit of God inside you. And, the Holy, and Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will help you to understand what you read in the Bible. 
He's going to help you as you try to talk to God. In Romans 8, it says, when we don't have the words to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that are inexpressible. He says that, that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into truth. And so friends, this morning we speak, sorry, we serve, we follow, we trust in a God who communicates, who reveals himself, who communicates to us. Friends, we don't need a, you don't need a priest or a pastor to come to God. You, you can read this for yourself. You can seek the Lord in prayer. Have you heard from your Heavenly Father recently? I love, we sort of, I didn't know what you were going to say any to this morning and you sort of stepped in and the Lord had been speaking to you during worship. He, speak, he speaks to us still. Practicing the songs, the scriptures came and He spoke to you. He encouraged you. Have, have you heard your Heavenly Father speaking to you? He has that relationship. He continues to reveal Himself to us. What's he saying? What's he saying to you? Sometimes it's, we just, I, I, for myself, I have to come back to that. Where, what, what has God been saying to me recently? Have I actually been seeking him? Have I been listening for his voice? He speaks to Noah. He's revealed himself through Jesus. We love the scriptures because they tell us about Jesus. Through his Holy Spirit working in you. Have you heard from him? What's he saying to you? God reveals himself to faith. True faith results in obedience. True faith results in obedience. You'll notice that Noah responded to God's revelation. God said, Noah, here's what's going to happen. Here's the state of the world. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to bring this flood and we're going to do a big reset. And Noah responded by faith, it says. We'll talk about what that means in a second. But Noah responded. Can I suggest to you that the, the true faith, true trust in Jesus, always results in some kind of outward change, an action. The way it, it affects the way you live. Yeah? The outward change is not the thing that saves us. We've got to be really careful with that. Yeah? Sometimes we think that oh, I have to do lots of good things, but the Bible says, no, no, the good things you do aren't the thing that save you. The, the, things, the way you live is actually the result of what you trust. Yeah? Does that make sense? Yes? No? Yes? Yep. What you do is the result of trusting Right. So a couple weeks ago, Nathan came up and he fell back. He, my dad said to him, Nathan, if you fall backwards, I'm going to catch you. Darren, come here. <laughs> Darren, do you believe I'm capable of, of catching you? Yes. You do? Yeah. Oh, man, right off the wait, bat. Do you want me to say no? No, I want you to say yes. Yeah? So will you let me catch you? Yeah. All right. Whenever you're... Whenever you're ready. Arms out. Whenever you're ready. Uh, I'll put my foot on that was... That's not okay. trusting, okay. is it? No. Yeah, no, that's true. So we've got, we've got trust issues there. Yeah. But 
But at what point did he actually start to trust? Was it when he fell backwards? Or was it at some point before? At some point, his, his falling back proved that he had believed, but at some point, he made a choice to actually do it. He started to move towards me. He said, yeah. So, the, the, the faith is the thing that saves, not the action. It's, it's kind of interesting that Noah actually built the boat, and in a very practical way, his obeying God actually did save him. But actually, the writer of Hebrews says really clearly, no, it was Noah's faith that actually saved him. And that not just saved him through the flood, but made him a righteous, an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So it's the faith that saves. But, but faith has this outworking, this outcome, this obedience. This, it affects all of our life. We look different because we trust Jesus. If you start trusting yourself, you look different as well. You live differently. If you start trusting money and power and fame... You start to look different. And so true faith results in obedience. When I lived in France, I would often have spiritual conversations with people. French were very happy to talk philosophically, intellectually about faith. And I would often talk to someone and say, I was a Christian. And they would say, oh. And the friends they would say is, je suis croyant. Mais pas pratiquant. Which means, I'm, I believe, but I don't practice. The Bible doesn't have a category for that. <laughs> Believing without practicing. No, faith always has, it, it makes, it changes how we live. It's not just about doing good works and being obedient. It's actually, faith changes all of how you live, the way that you live. And so by faith, Noah took action. You'll notice that it doesn't say on the basis of his own evaluation of the facts and whether God was trustworthy, Noah built an ark. It doesn't say based on the advice of his friends, Noah built the ark. It doesn't say based on the fact that he pulled out his phone and Googled it and said, is this a good idea? Is there a flood forecasted? He built... No, it says, by faith, he built the ark. Do you get the distinction? And so in a sense, this is a little bit of... of how, by faith, how did Noah decide whether he was going to trust God or not? Well, he'd been walking with him for a while. He'd experienced God... And God said, here's what's going to happen. And by faith, Noah said, okay. It's not blind faith. He had previous experience of God. He'd been walking with him for a number of years. So I would distinguish blind faith from true faith, if that makes sense. Blind faith's dangerous. But Noah decided by faith to take action. If you turn with me just briefly in to James in chapter 2. A couple of, of details about faith. True faith. Faith that works. That lives differently. James in chapter 2. James in chapter 2 and verse... Which verse do I want? 
verse 26. Verse 17, sorry. Verse 17 and verse 26. We won't read the whole section. You can go back. It's a fascinating section. Fascinating passage. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me start in verse 14. Sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place this morning. Verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then in verse 26, he compares it to a body without a spirit. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Now remember, works are not the thing that save us. Faith is what faith in Jesus is what saves us. But actually, the reality is that what we do, sometimes we think works. We, we think, oh, I can go out and help the little lady across the street, and I can go and give some time to this charity over here, and I can give away some money, and I've done some good works, and now I can live however I want. But when, when the Bible talks about what, what the result of faith, it's talking, talking about, about whole life. Faith changes the way you live. And so when James says, faith without works is dead, what he's saying is what you do, how you live, reveals what you actually trust, despite what you might say you trust. Yeah? So to go back to the illustration with Darren, if I said, Darren... Do you, do you think I'm able to catch, me, to catch you? And he says, yes. And then I say, will you let me catch you? And he says, no. Does he actually believe that I can catch him? No. He said he did, but he wouldn't actually fall backwards to let me catch him. And so James and, and Noah is illustrating for us that when we say we trust Jesus, but we don't act like it, actually what we're showing is that we don't actually trust Him. We don't actually trust Him. And so friends, when we, we simply fall into trying to change our, uh, our actions without changing our hearts, we're just falling into behavior modification. Do you know that phrase? They talk about it sometimes in parenting. You're trying to get your kids to be good kids but you haven't actually got to their heart. And what Jesus is saying is, I, 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 want, you, I want your heart. I want you to trust me. I just want, don't want you just to be a good, nice little religious person doing nice things. I want you to actually trust me. And when we trust Jesus in that way, our whole life looks different. A couple of questions I was thinking about. Actions reveal what we really trust. How far are you willing to go to keep your job? How far are you willing to go to fit in, to compromise at work? There's lots of different things out there with different agendas, different pressures at work, pressures to fit in, pressures to, to toe the line as it were. When those 
things come down, what comes down to it, those choices start to reveal in us what we really trust. How you treat your, your boss, your employees, your spouse, your parents, your children. Sometimes I find myself, if I can be really honest, I find myself... Uh, what's the word? Um, yelling is too strong. In American, we'd say yelling at my children, but it doesn't literally mean yelling. What's the word that you'd use in England? It, telling them off. Uh, tell, not telling them off is still too strong, but I'd say, oh, stop this. They're just being children, but I'm concerned about my image as a parent. Everyone else ever had that? Concerned about how you look because your parents, your kids are acting up, and they're just being kids, and they're actually fine. Now, stop doing that. You're making me look bad. The way I treat my child is proof of what I'm actually... I'm actually more concerned about how I look. I'm not trusting Jesus with how I look. Yeah? So the way we treat others, those relationships we have on a daily basis, family, spouse, employees, bosses, co-workers, the way we treat others, the pressures in our, in our jobs, what we trust... Sorry, what we do, the choices that we make, reveal what we actually trust. There's a wonderful little phrase in Romans chapter 1 and Romans 16. If you just turn to Romans chapter 16, I love this phrase because it, in my, for me, it ties it all up together in my mind. Romans chapter 16, the last couple of verses. 16 and verse 25. It's the doxology at the end of the epistle to the Romans. And Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, and here it is, to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to bring about the obedience of faith. Sometimes we think about obedience purely in terms of our physical actions. Yeah? Of what we actually are doing. But actually, there's a very real sense that the obedience that Jesus is looking for is that of faith, of trusting Him. That's His call to you. Trust me. Not go do lots of nice things. Trust me, and I'm going to change you. And friends, sin is the opposite of that. Sin is not all of the bad stuff we do. Sin is actually trusting the wrong thing, which results in all of the bad stuff. The heart of sin is trusting the wrong thing. And Jesus says, trust me. That's the obedience I want. Put your faith in me. How is your faith in Jesus led you to take action recently? How has it changed the way you live? How has it contributed to that decision-making process, those choices you make? And you say, actually, I have a choice here. I could, I, I could tow the company line over here and do the, the transgender thing. Or I could say, actually, I, I can't. And I'm going to trust Jesus with the outcome because actually it's really clear in His Word. When you're in the heat of the moment and you have 
the tension of your, 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 your child's acting out or, or your spouse is saying something, I do this to my wife, saying something that's embarrassing her. You have the, op- you have the opportunity for a, an unhel- a wrong interaction with a family member and actually say, you know what, no, Lord, help, I need to trust you with this. How should I respond? What should I say to my son or my daughter or my husband or my, or my wife? How is your faith change the way you live. And, and let me put the question backwards as well. What does how you live right now, if you think about your life as a whole, what does that reveal about what you truly trust? What does that reveal about where you truly trust? Let me push that one a little more practical. What are you, invest, what are you investing your time in? What are you investing your money in? What are you investing your talents in? The giftings that God has gave you. You're good at, what are you good at? Often when you start to look at where you've invested those things, it starts to reveal, oh, I'm trusting these things. These are the things I'm actually trusting because that's where all of my resources are going. What are you, what are you trusting right now? Do you need to make a change there? Lastly, Back to Hebrews 11. The witness and the reward of obedient faith. The author of Hebrews in the end of verse 7 ends with this phrase. By this, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah's faithful working, faithful obedience, had two outcomes. The first is that it condemned the world. David was telling me about an interaction he had with someone in church, street pastors a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago. I hope it's okay. That I, that, and uh, there was this guy who was clearly intoxicated and, and they, they came up to him, they talked to him earlier, and they came up to him again, and they asked him if they could help him, and he was clearly more intoxicated than he was previously. And he started getting angry because he felt guilty, actually. Because there were actually some people out there who were doing good who were trying to help him. And he started yelling at them, and he was frustrated. Ah, you think you're better than me? And And they were going, no, we're just here to help you and make sure you're safe. And if you need a cab or we need some water, we're just here to help. We're not... But actually, the righteous actions of those who were participating in street pastors made him feel guilty, condemned. And so in the same way, Noah's righteous action, in a sense, condemned the world. It made them feel guilty. It made, made, well, we live righteously. The world around us feels like there's, oh, there is actually a higher standard. Though we don't want to think about that. And so friends, walking with God, like Enoch, like Noah, means walking differently from the world around us. When I was in my teens, must have been 16 or 17, uh, we lived in Toulouse in the south of France. And in, every year they would have these big political rallies. And uh, a friend of mine, 
said, hey, the, the Communist Party's having their rally in town right now. No, it, wasn't, it, was, no, it, wasn't, it was the far right. It was the extreme right party was having their, uh, their big rally. We should go down and see if we can get in just to hear what's happening. So we went down. And it was really fascinating because it was all well-to-do people walking in. They wouldn't let us in because we weren't card-carrying members, which was fine. So we walked back up into the, the center of town. And actually, in the center of town, because the far-right party was having the Front National, were having their big political rally in Toulouse, the Communist Party was out having a riot. And so we walked up a couple of side streets into the, this main street and suddenly found ourselves in the midst of tear gas and people running and the riot police charging. It was kind of terrifying. And my first instinct, we were in the middle, and the police hadn't charged. We could see the riot police coming down, and we see everyone running past us, and there's tear gas, and our eyes were burning, and we're going, we can't see a thing. And my instinct was to start running the same way as everyone else. And my friend grabbed my arm and said, don't do that. The, the, the police will think you're with them. And so actually we started walking the direction we actually wanted to go, which was opposite everyone else. When we walk by faith, oftentimes we're walking against the flow of the crowd. We're not walking the same direction as everybody else. That's what Noah did. We looked at 2 Peter in chapter 3. And Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the people were scoffing at Noah. Bah, when's it going to happen? Just as the same as in the days of the flood. They scoff at us just like they scoffed in the days of the flood. When's it going to happen? God said it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's not really going to happen, is it? Then actually, when we walk by faith, we walk against the flow of popular culture, of what our society says, of what the world in, in its system says is right, is the way to live, and we live differently. Why? Because just like Noah, we know that there's a future event coming. That Jesus has said, I'm coming back again. And it could happen at any moment. And so our priorities are different. Our goals are different. Our purposes are different. Look with me just briefly in Matthew chapter 24. This was the, the warning to me this week. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 38. Sorry, verse 36. It's talking about the return of Jesus. And Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, that's the day when everything Jesus is going to come back, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. It's a famous song by Larry Norman, Wish We'd All Been Ready. It takes those verses. But you notice that, that what the people were doing in the days of Noah before the flood, they're not bad, they're actually good things. 
They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And friends, the, the warning for us, I think, this morning is beware of getting caught up in nice things. Beware of getting caught up in nice things. In the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving away and being married and having children and investing in all of their stuff. They were, they were doing good, not bad things, good things even. But Noah was different because he knew there was an expiration date. There was an end date. There was a date when the flood would come. And so he was busy building this ark. Friends, the same is true of us. There's lots of nice things that we could get caught up in as believers. Not bad things. And actually, there's a place for some of those things. But friends, we know that there's a day when Jesus is coming back in person. We're going to see him unless he takes us first. And we, we read it earlier. It's like a, a thief in the night. We don't know when it's going to happen. But he's given us a task to do, friends, because there is judgment coming as well. We'll talk about that in just a second as we close. Friends, beware of getting caught up in nice things. The world around us has lots of nice things, nice charities, nice things to be involved in. It's nice. It's good. It does it. But friends, there's an expiration date coming. Beware of getting caught up in nice things. Spend your time involved in the things that have eternal value. Obedient faith is a witness to the world. And by obedient faith, we become heirs of righteousness. That's, what, that's the end of the verse in verse 7. Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It's almost like, like remember in John chapter 3, and John, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus says, you know, if anyone wants to see the kingdom of heaven, he must be what? Born again. And there's a sense in which this is what, that's, it's, a, it's an Old Testament phrase. He became an heir of righteousness. To be an heir, you have to be born the son of someone. So there's a sense in which that phrase, you became an heir of righteousness, is almost, it's, a, it's similar to this idea of being born again. He trusted Jesus and he had salvation and he was made an heir. And this is just where I want to camp out just for a second here at the end. Two minutes. Noah is a picture of salvation in Jesus. Just quickly, turn over with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. One of those happy, happy, hard to understand passages in the New Testament. But there's a couple of details. 1 Peter in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's some unclear verses in there about the spirit of Jesus went and 
preached to the spirits in prison. What it probably means is that the Spirit of Jesus, through Noah, preached to those of His generation saying, there's a flood coming. In Second Peter, Noah's called a herald of righteousness, one who proclaims. That's probably what it means. But what I want to look, focus in on is those, and the end of the, in verses 20 and 21, that God saved the people through the waters. He saved the people through the waters. And he says, this is, baptism is a picture of what saves us. He doesn't say, he says baptism saves us, but not as a removal of dirt. What he's saying is that baptism is actually a picture of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us, faith in Jesus does. But baptism is a picture of us being resurrected with Jesus. And in the same way, he says that building the ark wasn't the thing that saved Noah, faith was what saved him. But being in, the, being in the ark is a picture of his salvation, being brought through the waters of judgment. There's an interesting little detail that I learned this week. What, do you remember what, what Noah was commanded to cover the boat in, the ark? What was he covered? Pitch. And interestingly, in Hebrew, the word for pitch is the same as the word, is the same word as atonement. And so there's a wonderful little picture here that the pitch, that the ark was covered in pitch and the pitch keeps the water out, makes it watertight. And it brings them safely through the waters of judgment. And in the same way, when we're in Christ, His blood, that's what atonement is about, is about blood, His blood being spilled for us. His blood makes us watertight against the waters of judgment, if you will. We trust in Jesus and His blood that He sacrificed on the cross that he poured out, pays the price, atones, makes it right for our sins. We have, we're saved from judgment. We have relationship with God. True believers, true believers alienate two groups of people. True believers alienate the religious crowd who just want to do nice things. And true believers, actually, they don't worry about the nice things because they're busy doing the things that actually count. And so they often look paganish, if you will. But true believers also alienate those who have no faith. Pagans, if you will. Because they look too radical, too faithful. Yeah. People who are genuinely trusting Jesus, they alienate. The, the religious crowd doesn't like them because ah, they're, they're not doing all the nice things that they're supposed to do. And they also alienate, not alienate, it's the wrong word, but they, they make uncomfortable. Yeah? Those who are not interested in God at all because they look a bit, well, they've raised the bar, they make us feel guilty. Yeah? We walk against the current we have true faith. We're saved by faith. Friends, Noah's faith defined the outcome of his life. Does your faith define yours? Noah's life was defined by his faith. Does your faith define yours? Let me just close with Psalm chapter 17. I stumbled across this. It's been ministering to my heart. 
in the vein of focusing on the right kinds of things. Psalm 17, verses 14 and 15. David is pleading with God to, de- to deliver him from the evil men. And he says, For men by your hand, O Lord, for men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. Sounds like a good thing. And yet David says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Friends, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this life. Investing, leaving inheritance in this life. But we have a living hope an inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven where we'll behold the face of God in righteousness. And when we awake to His glory, we'll be satisfied with His likeness.